Welcome to One Tribe, and if you're new here, I want to add my welcome to the welcome that you've already received. My name is Mbonisi, I'm one of the team of pastors here at One Tribe, and um, you've picked a great Sunday to join us because we're starting a brand new series this morning that we are titling Generous. Part of our calling as a church at One Tribe is to be a generous people. That means generous with our finances, but it goes beyond that to being generous with our prayer like we've just been, generous with our time, generous with our skills and our gifts, generous with our homes, generous in our opinions of others, generous with our emotional energy on a Sunday morning, generous with the gospel. Our heart is to see God's kingdom come in Nairobi as it is in heaven. And part of that is a flow of generosity from the throne of God through his church into Nairobi and Kenya and East Africa and Madagascar and beyond. So over the next four weeks, we'll be talking about a generous God and how he has made us to be a generous people. I was talking to a pastor not too long ago, and this pastor said to me that um, in his years, since they planted their church several years ago, he said that he has never, he's never preached about money and finances. And there are a number of pastors who, or churches that don't want to talk about money because it's a sensitive subject and because there's been so much bad teaching out there. In the last week or two, um, uh, uh, one, one of my friends on the staff team was telling me about 310. How many of you have heard about 310? Some of you have heard about 310. 310 is someone, I don't know who, out there is teaching that because Malachi 310 talks about giving, you must give him or give them 310 shillings. Is that right? This is the teaching that is out there. And um, this is what I said to my pastor friend. I said to him that the, the antidote for bad teaching is not no teaching, it's good teaching. And that if the church isn't discipling God's people in the area of finances and generosity from God's word, someone else will do it. 310, or Netflix, or the person down the road, and there is a better way. And so it's important that we do talk about this. Jesus and the Bible say a lot about money, but not usually for the reasons that we think. So my request over the next four weeks is that you try and put aside any bad teaching or even bad experiences that you've had in this area and ask God to speak to you, to speak to us through his word. In fact, I'm going to ask God to do that right now. Let's pray. God, we just love being able to come back to prayer time and time again this morning. It's a privilege to approach your throne of grace with confidence, to find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. Well, God, we need you right now. We need you to speak. We need your wisdom. God, we need your anointing on your word as I proclaim it. I need your help this morning. God, we all need your help. You spoke about your spirit softening our hearts, softening the heart of stone. Would you do that this morning? Because we want to hear from you. We want to be like um, uh, fertile ground 
that receives your word like Paps was talking about and that, 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 that um, um, your word accomplishes the purpose for which you send it. Let that be true of us this morning. And everyone said, I do pray that God will use this series to make us a more generous church in every way. But as we grow in generosity, it must be for the right reason. So to kick us off, I thought I would quickly run through five bad reasons for giving. Bad reason number one for giving is I will lose God's blessings and come under a curse if I don't give. That's, I got one amen there. That's a bad reason for giving. If I don't give, God won't bless me and in fact, I will come under a curse. My friends, um, that's a bad reason because the gospel has good news for you this morning. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, past tense, has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I think it's amazing, Sean. Maybe these guys don't, but I know it's amazing. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, past tense, in Christ. Christ is the blessing. The Father has given his Son. You cannot be more blessed than that. I'm seeing Greg's eyes going up like this. Some of you are still getting used to my preaching. I was preaching in England. And I said to them, before I say anything, I only preached one half message, long story. I said to them, before I preach, I want you to know, if my voice gets loud, it's not because I'm angry with you. And afterwards, we're talking and we, um, with Tash and I, and we, we thought, you know what? The British people are a quiet and reserved people. Have you heard that? The British people are quiet and reserved. And I thought, that's so it's okay for the British people to be quiet and reserved in church because they are a quiet and reserved people. Except when 60,000 of them get together to watch people kicking a football around. <laughs> then all of a sudden they're doing dances. There is a striptease act on the field in front of tens of thousands. You'll be glad to know I'll not be doing a striptease this morning. But you know, David said, I'll become even more undignified than this because of what I've seen of my God. And if people are allowed to dance and scream and paint themselves because of a football being kicked around, permission requested to get a little bit excited about Jesus who died on a cross for my sins. Permission to get excited about a God who has already in Christ blessed us with every spiritual blessing. It's going to come under a curse if I don't give, but the Bible says that Jesus hung on a cross and he became a curse for us in our place because the Bible says curse is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's a bad reason to give. If it's that you don't lose God's blessings and come under a curse. Number two, bad reason number two to give is if I give, I will earn God's blessing and get even more money in return. If number one was the stick, number two is the carrot. If I give, 
then God then owes me because I've given. And so the reason that I give money is actually to get more money back. The problem with that, friends, the problem with that is, number one, God is not a stop machine. And number two, if our main motivation in giving some money is to get more money back, then it's not God that we love, but it's money that we love. So if we're going to grow in generosity, it must be for a better reason than we're going to get more money back from God. Bad reason number three is I will give because the church needs more money and has made me feel guilty. Let's settle something once and for all. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And for that last 2,000 years, empires have come and gone, but Jesus has been building his church. He doesn't need your 10,000 shillings or 10 million shillings to fulfill his promise to build the church. He's not waiting on Elon Musk to maybe get in a good mood and donate a couple of billion into the church coffers. Jesus said, I will build my church, and that is with or without my help and your help. If we're going to become a more generous people, it has to be for a better reason than the church needs more money, and I feel guilty about that. Bad reason number four. Bad reason number four to give is because God needs my money. We'll come back to this one. But for now, trust me, he doesn't. If we become a more generous people, it will be for a better reason than that. Bad reason number five, I give because I have to. I'm a Christian. They said it's part of the rules. I have to give. This reason is behind questions like, how much money do I have to give? The challenge with that, friends, is I have to will never result in a generous heart because it will always play to the minimum. The good news this morning is that I believe that in the gospel is a power that transforms our hearts and makes us want to, not just have to. And so if we become a more generous people, it will be for a better reason than have to. So... We're in Romans chapter 11. This is our main text for this morning. And this is going to be the backdrop for our four weeks of talking about and asking God to help us become a generous people. We're in Romans chapter 11. And Romans chapter 11 is at a key point in the greatest letter ever written. For 11 chapters, Paul has just been unpacking the deepest theology that there is. He's been talking about justification and propitiation and sanctification and glorification and election and the work of the Spirit in our lives. He's just been unpacking all of these things and he's just about to shift gear to start telling us how everything that's been unpacked makes us a people who live radically different to every other people on planet Earth. But as he's changing gear, he says, look at all of this. And actually, a few verses later in Romans 12, we're at the end of chapter 11, beginning of chapter 12, he says, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything I've been saying in these last 11 chapters, this then is how we should respond. As he's changing gears... 
he says, just, just as, as we're shifting, can we just take a moment and worship this incredible God? He says, oh, the depths of the wisdom, of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Now, this is an important principle in our spiritual lives because as Christians, often we get caught up in, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do. Paul says, hey, we're going to get to the doing in a moment, but before we get to the doing, I want you to see the God that I've seen. Because only when you've seen the God that I've seen will we be able to live the lives that we're called to live. You see, we respond to revelation. The Christian life is a response to something that we see of God. And too often we expect people to act a certain way when they haven't seen what we have seen and what Paul has seen of God. And what has he seen of God in this last 11 chapters? He's seen a God who's got riches of depths of knowledge and wisdom. He says, this is mind-blowing. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? The mind of the Lord. When it comes to theology, I love the analogy. Someone once said that um, there's no way I can fully understand God. That's like going to, to Victoria Falls. And with my 500 milliliter cup, trying to take in the entire Victoria Falls, I, I can't fathom an infinite God with my finite mind. The human mind is incredible, by the way. This last month, March, the 14th of March, what day is the 14th of March? Pi Day, spelt P-I after the Greek letter Pi. Mathematicians love Pi Day. And in some schools, what they do is they see, they have competitions to see who can remember the most digits of the letter, of, of, of the number Pi, because Pi is a number that's 3,142, and then it goes on, it never stops. The unofficial world record holder a few years ago, his name was, uh, his name was, let me pull it up for you. Akira Haraguchi. 60 years, 77 years old this year, if he's still alive. He was 60 years old at the time of this story. He's a retired Japanese engineer. He's known for memorizing and reciting digits of pi. Haraguchi, at that time, held the, current, held the unofficial world record of having memorized 100,000 digits of pi. So he recited these. You can look it up. He started at 9 a.m. in the morning. And he just started, right. 3,142. Uh, he continued. He hit digit number 100,000 at 1.28 a.m. after 16 hours. He had five-minute breaks every two hours to eat, to keep his energy levels up. 
And uh, they filmed this whole thing, and they even filmed him, filmed him going to the toilet to make sure that, the, that this was the real deal. That's the capacity of the human mind, and that blows my mind. Now, what blows my mind even more is that there is a mind that created that mind. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Who is known as mine? It's like the scene in Job where Job says, I'm worried about this, I'm worried about that, my life is falling apart. And God says to him, brace yourself like a man. I'm going to ask you a few questions. Do you know where the mountain goat gives birth? Were you there when the foundations of the earth were laid? This is why we worship our God. You say, but I, I thought that this was, a, this was a, a series about generosity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the root of generosity needs to be worship, not 310. Paul goes on, verse 35. Um, who has ever given to God that God should repay them? Do you remember we said that a bad reason to give is because God needs our money? Well, that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Paul says the very reason we worship God is because God doesn't need anything. We worship the God and His... He said, his name is I am. What does I am mean? I am means I exist in and of myself. I don't need anything else. I don't need help. I don't need a secretary. I am who I am. That's the God we worship. He does not need anything by definition because he is God. He's called I am because he is the unmoved mover of all things. He's the uncaused cause behind creation. No one has ever given to him and he is no man's debtor. The Bible makes this abundantly clear. Another example would be Psalm 50 verse 12. I love this verse. God says, do you know what Psalm? If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, <laughs> for the world is mine and everything that's in it. God says, I'm God, I don't get hungry. If I did, why would I talk to you when I created everything? It's a bad reason to give because God needs our money. There's a teaching out there that says that when we give to God, then God has to repay us. Paul, who wrote these verses, would say, God has to repay us. What are you smoking? Because it must be some pretty strong stuff. How can the one who made all things be in our debt? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? In verse 36, Paul wraps it up. He says, for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Here's why this is important. Paul, I, I just love this. I just love that Paul's theology, 11 chapters of the richest theology that there is, results in worship. And my hope is that our sermons would be saturated in deep theology. But God deliver us from becoming a people with big heads 
and small hearts. God, make us a people who in our theology, we see Jesus. And when we see Jesus, we just want to worship. That's the reason behind our Sunday sermons. That's, that's the reason behind everything. It's not that we worship and that's the warm-up to prepare our hearts for the word, brother. No, 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 no. Actually, the word then, my prayer is would lead us back to worship of Jesus. We're on a mission as a church to multiply gospel-centered, spirit-empowered missional churches in Nairobi and beyond. Why do we do that? Well, John Piper said the reason that missions exists is because worship doesn't. The reason that we want to fill the city with the gospel is there are hearts in this city. There are hearts in this nation that haven't yet seen this God and his worth and his infinite value and surrendered their lives to him. Because those hearts not worshiping, we are on a mission. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's why this is important. Most of us have a tendency to divide the world into two compartments. Compartment number one, we label sacred. Say sacred. Compartment number two, we label secular. The sacred compartment, we put special godly things in there. Like Sunday. Sunday is a sacred day. Go to church. Read my Bible. And then Monday to Saturday is secular. Anything goes. Put it a different way. We do that with our bodies. There's a teaching out there, I haven't got time to get into it, that says we are spirit, soul, and body. And the part that God is really concerned about is our spirits. Our bodies, not so much. Because we divided ourselves into sacred and secular. We do that in our geography lessons. We say, well, Israel, my sister, that's the holy land. It's sacred. God really cares about that bit. Other nations, Secular. Or we say, brother, that first 10% belongs to God. That's sacred. Then the other 90% can do with what you want. That's secular. But the problem is that, as Paul would say, uh, Everything is from him and through him and for him. Abraham Kuyper. I like Abraham Kuyper because he was a pastor theologian on the one hand, but then he was also <laughs> at the same time uh, prime minister of the Netherlands a while back. And he said this, just echoing Paul, there is not a thumb's breadth of this universe over which Christ does not say, it is mine. C.S. Lewis, tag teaming with Abraham Kuyper, says there is no neutral ground in the universe. 
every square inch and every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. What Paul and Kuiper and Lewis are saying is that God is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. If he's only God of the spiritual, if he's only God of the 10%, if he's only God of Israel, if he's only God of Sunday, then he's not much of a God. And he's not worthy of the worship that we're giving him. But because God is God, he says, Monday to Saturday are mine as well. Every split second, according to Lewis. Your spirit is mine, and your soul is mine, and your body is mine. Israel is mine, and every other nation. You know, Kenyans love their shambas, don't they? We love to have this piece of Kenya that belongs to me. Well, the Bible says in Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Charles Spurgeon, commenting on this verse, says this. It's up on the screen. You can just read it together along with me. Man lives on the earth and parcels out its soil between his mimic kings and autocrats. Yet the earth is not man's. He is only a tenant at will, a leaseholder on the most precarious tenure, liable to instant eviction. The great landowner and true proprietor holds his court above the clouds and laughs at the title deeds of worms of the dust. The deed is not with the lord of the manor or the freeholder, but it is with the creator. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. It's because of him that it exists. And it's from him and through him and for him. At this point, you might put up your hand and say, uh, Mr. Preacher, if this is a series on being generous, are you suggesting that this somehow relates to money? I am not suggesting it. I am stating it because the Bible states it clearly. Haggai 2 verse 8 is just one example. God says, the earth is mine. Haggai 2 8, he says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Now that's a big, that's a big pill to swallow. How many of you have an M-Pesa account? Trick question, you don't. God has an M-Pesa account. <laughs> See what I did there? God says, that's mine. God doesn't just say that silver and gold is mine. You say, silver and gold is mine, but God goes further than that. He says in Deuteronomy 8, 18. He says, remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gave you the ability to produce wealth. So confirms his covenant. Elsewhere, Paul asks, 
What have you, what have you, what do you have that you didn't receive? Because often our mentality is, well, what am I going to do with my hard-earned money? No, 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 the money that you're holding. The paper came from trees created by a generous God. The gold, that's the gold standard behind that currency, God says is mine. The ability that you have to get up to work and go to work every day, God says you got that from me. I know what you're thinking. Mr. Preacher, isn't this a little bit radical? It gets more radical. Everything is God. All money is God's. Your money is God's. My money is God's. Not just that, but our ability to create wealth is God's. In fact, not just that, the Bible says, you are not your own. Read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. This is the gospel. Do you not know, Paul says, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Do you see how this works? The Corinthians might have thought they were very spiritual people. They loved the gifts and praying in tongues and so on. But they said, when it comes to what we do with our bodies, we're going to do whatever we want. And Paul doesn't say, don't you know that you're being bad people? He says, no, don't you understand the good news? That you were slaves to sin. But God came and bought you, not just your spirit. He bought all of you. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And when you have that revelation, this then is how you live. The story is told of a little boy who had a toy tractor. He loved that toy tractor so much. It was the favorite toy he had because he and his dad had made it together. One day they moved house and somehow in the house move, his little yellow tractor got lost. And no one knew where or how it got lost. It was years later that the boy was walking down... Uh, Waiaki Way, out of the corner of his eye, he sees a shop. Something draws him to the shop, and he goes inside the shop, and on the shelf, he sees that yellow toy tractor. He asks the shop owner, how much does it cost? The shop owner tells him. The boy goes home, gets all his pocket money, breaks the piggy bank, gets it all together. He goes back to that shop owner, and he buys back his tractor. And as he walked out of the shop, that little boy hugged the yellow toy tractor to his chest and he whispered to his favorite toy, you're mine twice over now because I made you and I bought you. Friends, the gospel tells us that there is one to whom we belong twice over because he created us. He knitted us together in our mother's wombs. And then he bought us at infinite cost by shedding his blood on a cross. And that's the God who says, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price.
I know some of the questions we have as Christians when it comes to giving. Is it Old Covenant? Is it New Covenant? Is it 10% or 5%? Is that a percentage of gross or net? Is that to the local church or as my heart leads? These are all good questions. But they all need to be seen against the backdrop of a God who has said, I own everything. I'm going to go over two or three practical implications. Then we're going to pray together and ask God, speak to us. If everything belongs to God, how then should we live? Number one is thank God for everything. The song we used to sing years ago, it said, I'm grateful for the air I breathe. When was the last time you thanked God for the air that you breathe? Someone once said this, thank God like you will only have tomorrow what you're thankful for today. Then all of a sudden I'm like, God, thank you for these shoes. Thank you for my jeans, Lord. Thank you for my phone. Thank you for my wife. That perspective, we don't take it for granted because everything is from him. Then we thank him. Number one is we thank God for everything. It makes us a people with an attitude of gratitude. Number two, we care more broadly. What I mean is this. Sometimes as Christians, we can send the message, we don't care about the earth. This earth is passing away. We just care about souls, brother. No, 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 no. God made everything, and everything is from him. Everything is through him. Everything is to him. There is no thumb's breadth that God doesn't say, this is mine. And so as a result, we care about all of the world. We care about Nairobi. We care about the economy. We care about the healthcare system. We care about the environment. We care about the fact that the roads are covered in litter. We care about everything because everything is from God. And everything is for God. Number three, we hold everything lightly. A man called John Wesley, he was the founder of the Methodist movement. And uh, one day, a distressed young man rode his horse up to John Wesley shouting, Mr. Wesley, something terrible has happened. Your house has burned to the ground. Wesley weighed the news, then calmly replied, no, the Lord's house burned to the ground. That means one less responsibility for me. He's a man who had learned to hold things Lightly. So when we realize that everything we own, we're just stewards, it actually belongs to him. There's a lightness that comes in our spirits. We hold this world lightly. Yes, we care broadly, we care deeply, but somehow that's with a lightness. That car, the car you're driving, you hold it lightly. You wonder how could people in the New Testament give houses away? I think it's because they were holding them lightly. They realized we're all just stewards anyway. 
And at the end, it all goes back in the box. And then lastly, so we thank God for everything. We care more broadly. We hold everything lightly. And lastly, we move from talking about my money, talking about God's money. If we get this, if we see what Paul's seen, we're going to move from talking about my life to talking about God's life that I'm stewarding. Because my life and everything I have, it's from Him and it's for Him. Let's stand together. Just be still before God. A few moments. Reminded of how God wanted to speak to Elijah and if you know the story, earthquake came, wind came, fire came. God wasn't in the earthquake, wasn't in the wind, wasn't in the fire. There's a still, small voice whispered into his soul. God, would your still, small voice whisper into our hearts today? We hear about generosity. We often think about our bank account. But God, we see this morning that there's so much more at stake than that. But God, by your Spirit, would you carry on softening hearts of stone? Soften my heart, Lord. But show us a bigger picture. But show us what a a life that's yielded, that's given over to you, looks like. But show us what it means to apply this to every single area of our lives. Parenting, our professional careers, our education. Yes, our finances. But God, our health, our time, our emotions, our sexuality. Our conversations, the environment, God, this, this one truth, let it land in our hearts like a seed, God, let it, let it germinate and let it grow till it fills our lives, fills our hearts. God, over and above so many questions we have when it comes to generosity and boundaries and, uh, and, and, and wisdom and and, 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 and theological questions, we got be behind all of that. Bring us back to the cross. Bring us back to that place where a Savior died to create a people that are His very own. That 
he rejoices over with singing and over whom he says, mine. God, as we go out into the week, would you keep this revelation fresh in our consciousness and would you help us to live lives that are a worthy response to what we've seen and heard. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.